Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. stop praising. Let us pray. Father, thank you once again for this day. Thank you, God, for the love that's shared abroad in, your, in our hearts. As we look to you and everything, God, the author and the finish of our faith, thank you for this day because we won't stop praising you, God. We love you, God, for all that you do, all that you give us, how you continue to put your hedge of protection around us, God. Bless this call to service. Bless this preaching hour that we may praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, for your prayers and your continued faithfulness in the midst of where we are. This morning, I'm going to read just two verses from the book of Mark, the eighth chapter, verses 34 and 35. And if you can find it in your heart to rest on your feet in reverence to his word. This is Mark 8, verses 34 and 35. Two verses this morning. And it reads as follows. It says, and then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, herself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank with me this morning from this thought. Surrendering to victory. Surrendering to victory. See, whenever we fully surrender to the perfect will of God, he accomplishes more than we could possibly dream about. Surrender is the act of giving up or yielding oneself or the possession of something to the power of the other. See, surrender means to yield ownership. It means to relinquish control over what we consider ours or what we think is ours, our property, our time, our rights, our privileges. When we surrender to God, we are simply, simply acknowledging that what we think we own actually belongs to him. Notice I said, what we think we own. I know you think you own the suit that you got. That's what you think you own. That purse that you carry, and I know that's what you think you own. And just because you got a key to get in your house, that's what you think you own. And the car that you're driving, remember, it's still on loan. It's what you think you own. 
He is the giver of all good things. We are responsible to care for what God has given us as stewards of his property. But by surrendering to God, we admit that he is ultimately in control of everything, including our present circumstances. See, surrendering to God helps us to let go of whatever had we have been hold, has been holding us back. Whatever that has been holding us back from God's best for our lives. Sometimes whatever has been holding us back, parents can hold us back. Relationships can hold us back. Careers can hold us back. Our money can hold us back. Our situation, our sickness can hold us back. So that's holding us back from what God says he has for us. See, by surrendering to God, we let go of whatever has kept us from wanting God's ways first. See, I don't know who I'm talking to. I know I'm talking to myself. I know I am. Because when I sat down in my corner, God was trying to remind me there's some things that sometimes get in the way. There's some things that sometimes get between me and him. And see, many of us have what we can be delicately called excess baggage. We have tried and tried to keep all sorts of resolutions. If we're honest, there are many that we have not kept. And it's not like we haven't tried. We just have tried the wrong way. So our solution has been to make our own rules to accomplish the task. Yet how many of us who are in a hard spot ask God to intervene? Look at what Philippians 2.13 says. It says, it is God who works within you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, God does not seek to have our perfect surrender in our own strength, nor by the strength of our pure willpower. No, he wants us to give the, him the permission to make the surrender possible. See, God does not want us to take back our surrender when the going gets tough. Neither does he want us to surrender as it relates to strains attached. He wants absolute power. He wants absolute unconditional surrendering. See, surrendering is a negative action. But when it applies to God, it is positive. See, surrendering is not surrendering to defeat. It is the surrendering to victory. Today, I want to tell you my personal story. Just the past week, 
I had to learn what surrendering to victory really means. Even though I prayed to God on behalf of my brother, prayed for my brother. See, the difference in me and most people, when I look at my brother, I see myself. Because he is my identical image of me. When I saw him in the hospital, I saw myself. When I talked to him on the phone, it was like I was talking to myself. So I felt what he felt. I still had not surrendered to God. I was still carrying the load in my heart and in my mind. And others not only could hear it in my voice, but they could see it in my spirit. No matter how much you love somebody, God says that he has no respect to person. And he said, don't let nothing become between you and him. He said, the petition has already been torn in two. Because when I sent my son to die on the cross, it was already done. Here is what I learned from this experience. It is good and right to do all that you can to make something work out well. However, at some point, we need to release any control we imagine we have and trust God to come through for us. See, when we surrender in the right way, we will find that we get what we need. I know that all things work together for good, but sometimes in the midst of waiting for the good, we become impatient. Sometimes in the midst of waiting for the good, we become anxious. Sometimes in the midst of waiting for the good, we begin to doubt. I had to understand that God said, I will work it out. When I look at what God did, sometimes we want to wait until we get the result, but that's not faith. God says we got to start walking before the results come. And when I looked at my brother's situation, he's having had an enlarged prostate a tumor. There were things that he needed to have done. And when I look at what God did, he not only took him through that situation, but the things that initially they were going to do, they didn't even have to do anymore. The radiation treatment that he thought, that I thought he was going to have, God said, don't worry about that. I'm going to give you hormone therapy. Don't worry about it. God said, I'm in control. He said, but I wanted your brother to see he got to surrender in order for victory to take place. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but stop listening to your friends. They don't know what God is up to. Be in prayer for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus displayed this same tension, and he yielded entirely. His entire life reflected this ideal. See, on the final night before his horrific death, he wrestled with his body's desire to avoid pain and its momentary morality. However, he still submitted to God and God's will. And going a little further, the Bible said he fell on the ground and prayed. 
that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said in Mark, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus' body wanted to live, but he trusted that by letting it die, he would bring eternal life to many. He modeled for us what it looks like to surrender into a position of victory. See, God never exalts anyone until that person is ready for it. First, the cross, then the crown. First, the suffering, then the glory. See, Moses was under God's hand for 40 years before God sent him to deliver Israel from Egypt. Joseph was under God's hand for at least 13 years before God lifted him to the throne. The evidence of our pride is our impatience with God. And one reason for suffering is that we might learn patience. As we look at our own lives, God has always kept us in his hand. He's done this despite our impatience to wait. He's done this in spite our impatience to worry, to work together, to love each other as Christ has loved us. He still has been faithful in the midst of where we are. Jesus had been preparing his disciples for this private meeting at which he intended to reveal to him them what would happen to him in Jerusalem. That's what this text is all about. In spite of their devotion to him, the disciples were still ignorant of true relationships between the cross and the crown. I think sometimes we don't understand what the difference, there's a relationship between the cross and the crown. Everybody want to go and get their crown. I see beauty queens, they walk out, when they get crowned, they get their crown, but there's something they got to go through before they get their crown. They were following Satan's philosophy. Satan's philosophy is glory without suffering. Instead of God's philosophy is suffering transforms into glory. See, the latter is where we as believers can be assured of God's promise. By surrendering, we obtain glory. Let me say that again, by surrendering. That's the only way you get the glory. Jesus summoned the people and taught them what he taught his own disciples. The text says, and there is a price to pay for true discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. See, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the cost of discipleship. So here are my points today. What I see in the text, 
It says that if anyone would come after me, first thing I see, we must surrender ourselves completely to him. He said, if anyone will come, what? After me. See, Mark tells us that this commitment to Christ is open to whoever. In other words, this commitment to Christ is open to everyone. It is not for a select few. It's not a matter if you are the worst of sinners. Jesus offers you an opportunity to commit to him. It is needed. We mean to, we have to surrender to him. Surrender is all that we can do in the midst of where we are. So if you're willing to commit to Christ, he is willing to accept your commitment. It is an open invitation to whosoever will. It's another word for dedication. And by this, we mean that for something to function correctly, it needs to dedicate it or surrender to its one purpose. And what Mark is telling us is that the commitment to Christ and selfishness cannot exist in the same place. Commitment to Christ and your selfishness can't exist in the same place. It just don't work. I know it sounds good. I know you want your cake and you want to eat it too. But the commitment to Christ and the selfishness, they just can't occupy the same space. I can either be committed to Christ or selfishness with my time, my talent, my finances, and the list continues to go on and on. See, when we have selfish motives, we cannot commit to anything outside of those selfish motives. Those selfish motives, they govern the decisions that you make every day. See, then he under helps us to understand that denying self is not the same as self-denial. Because he goes on and says, we must deny himself. We must deny himself. He said, we practice self-denial when for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities. That's self-denial. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and are determined to obey his will. This is once for all dedication. It's followed by a daily dying to self as we take up the cross and follow him. See, when we live for Christ, we become more like him. And this brings out our own unique individuality. So then the text says, and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I know you ain't going to like this part. Cross-bearing is always voluntary. Cross-bearing. It's always voluntary. See, Jesus calls and challenges us, but it is our decision. 
Taking up a cross and following Jesus is strictly voluntary. What do you mean, preacher? Well, suppose that after an extensive testing from the doctor, they tell me I am sorry, but you have diabetes. And I will have to have an ordeal with it. I would have to deal with it for the rest of my life. Some people would say, that's your cross to bear. I'm just trying to help you. I know you ain't going to like this. Now, that may be a burden, but that, but that is not my cross to bear. It is not a cross I have taken up for Jesus. So I can't tell others, well, that's my cross to bear because I didn't volunteer for it. That's what I want you to understand. Just because you lost your job and you're out of a job, that's not your cross to bear. You didn't volunteer and say, take my job away, did you? No. But whatever you do for Jesus Christ, if you volunteer, that's your cross to bear. We have burdens in life. That's a given. No matter how long you live. You're going to always have some burdens. You see, cross-bearing is not an accident that happens to us or something unavoidable that we must face. Cross-bearing is an act of love that we choose to do. It is a task that we undertake, a price that we pay out of love for Jesus Christ. For Jesus, it meant going to the cross to die because of our sin. That's the cross that he volunteered to bear. In order for us to be redeemed back to the Lord, Jesus said, send me, Daddy. I'll go. Let me die on the cross for many. Send me. I'm raising my hand. That was his cross to bear. I asked the church, what cross are you bearing for Jesus? Don't tell me about paying off the mortgage on the building. What cross are you bearing for Jesus? Don't tell me about how much money we take in on something. What cross are you bearing for Jesus? What are you doing for Jesus that you volunteered for? Not because you were elected for it, but you raised your hand and said, send me, Lord, I'll go. That's our cross to bear. A cross bearer is patient. A cross bearer is kind. A cross bearer does not envy. A cross bearer does not boast. A cross bearer is not arrogant or rude. A cross bearer is not self seeking. A cross bearer is not easily angered nor keeps record of their wrong. He or she does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A cross-bearer always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's a cross-bearer. I know you weren't going to like that. 
because I didn't like it. Sometimes we look at the many things that we do. We keep a list. I fed the homeless. I gave clothes to the needy. I visited people in the hospital. What else? I did a lot of stuff. I taught Bible study. I prayed for sister so-and-so. I went to the home going. Did you volunteer to do that? Or that's because that was your duty? Did you raise your hand and say, Lord, this is my cost to bear? Oh, did they pay you for it? Or did you just volunteer to do it? I just want you to understand that that was for me. I had to deal with that. Now, if you see your name in there, you put your name in there. The cross to bear. Then the text goes on. It says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We must identify with him in suffering and death. In addition to bearing your cross, you got to be able to identify with him. In suffering and death, I had to identify with my brother in his suffering. And I also would have to identify with him in his death. Jesus said we got to identify with him. The Lord is saying that whatever, whoever lives only to save his earthly, physical life, his ease and comfort and acceptance by the world will lose his opportunity for eternal life. That's what that means. But whoever loses his or her life is willing to give up his earthly, worldly life to suffer and die if necessary for Christ's sake will find eternal life. That's what eternal life is all about. To lose yourself is not an act of desperation. It is an act of devotion. But we do not stop there. Personal devotion should lead to practical duty, which is the sharing of the gospel with a lost, lost world. See, everything that God does in our lives happens to focus on that one supreme purpose. God has selected beforehand the goal that everyone who believes on Christ will be conformed to his likeness. God's primary concern is our character functioning the way he intended it us to function, like Christ. The decision to follow Jesus is the decision to take up a cross. The cross, a tool of torture and execution. To Christians, it's also a symbol of victory over the enemy, including death. My cross to bear is not just the daily troubles. Taking up our cross is an expression that requires us to bear the things humble us, expose us, offend us, shame us, that come because we are following Jesus Christ. See, when you're following Christ, you got to expect that. 
He experienced all of this and more as he carried the cross to his death. So we must follow him obediently wherever he leads us. We cannot be ashamed of Jesus who gives us real life and saves us for what? Eternal life. He went through the shame of the cross to save us. See, giving our lives to Jesus ensures that we will find contentment and satisfaction. We will find inner peace, a sense of worth, even if we do not have all the things others have. Our lives will be rich and rewarding and satisfying. To live is to struggle, to hurt, and to experience loss and brokenness. That's it. I'm done. But I got to tell you another story. This story is about two brothers went away to college. One brother became a farmer. The other became a brilliant, wealthy lawyer. The lawyer brother visited the farmer brother on the farm. He said, I can't believe you are not made anything of your life. He says, you're out here on a farm. He said, look at me. Look where I am. I'm on Wall Street. I'm an investor in the stock market. He said, I have clients who are millionaires. Here you are, stuck out here on this farm. He said, I wonder what the difference between us is. The farmer brother then spoke. He pointed out to his wheat field. He said, you see two types of wheat out there, brother. You'll see the wheat that's standing straight up and the wheat that's bent over. He said, in the head of the wheat that's standing straight up is empty. He said, nothing is in it. He said, but the wheat that is bent over means that the head is full and it's full of wheat. In life, some of us are still standing straight up and walking tall. However, we're only able to do so much because we're empty. Then there are those of us who are walking a little bit over. That's because we are full. The test is not what you have in your pocket, but what you have in your heart. See, surrendering to victory makes us full. Surrendering to Jesus, our Jehovah Jireh, who provides every need, makes us full. Jesus, our problem solver, our main way maker, makes us full. Jesus, the one who gives peace in the midst of the storm, makes us full. Jesus, who leads us into all truth, makes us full. Jesus, our sustainer, our keeper, makes us full. Jesus, who never slumbers and sleep, makes us full. Jesus, who knows all about our troubles, makes us full. See, if we, if you want to become victorious in Christ, it requires absolute surrender. C.S. Lewis says, until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Surrendering to victory. We got to surrender 
I know we always look at surrender negatively. I thought about the former president who refused to surrender to victory. There's some things in our own life that we refuse to surrender. We have to surrender and give it to Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He gave us victory in the cross. And if we are following Christ, we all have a cross to bear. We have to understand that. That's our cross today. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. God bless you. Stand on your feet as we send the invitation to discipleship. There may be somebody on the line that don't know Jesus in the pardon of their sin. I say to you this morning, all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Salvation is yours. Is there one that don't know Jesus in the pardon of their sin? You can come by letter. You can come by water baptism. You can come on your Christian experience. We're extending the discipleship, salvation. If you don't have a church home, that's real easy. All you have to do is just call us through the week. Leave your name and your phone number. We'll call you back. Is there one? We want to make sure that you understand that, that discipleship, salvation is free. Is there one? I'm going to pray while we're waiting. Father, we thank you for this ministry. We thank you for the opportunity, God, just to lay prostrate before you, God. We thank you for all that we do, God. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for protection. We thank you, God, for how you continue to watch over us, God, even in the midst of where we are. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this day. For this is the day that you said thou hast made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. We're praising you in Jesus' name. Amen. As they sing it. today. I pray that you will encourage. I pray that you, that God will keep blessing you and strengthening you through the week. Be safe out there. We're still in a pandemic. We're anticipating a snow, snowstorm 
but the storm is already there. God says that all we have to do is be faithful with few things. He'll make us rulers over many. So let us look to the Lord with our benediction. Now to him that's able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Father, both majesty and glory, dominion and power, both henceforth and forevermore. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters, and remember that I love you, and there's nothing that none of us can do about it. Amen. God bless. Amen. Hallelujah.